This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Well, thank you for that. Let's take God's Word and go to the Gospel according to Mark in the 11th chapter, Mark chapter number 11. We'll begin reading uh, in verse number 12 of Mark chapter number 11. As we looked uh, this past Lord's Day uh, at the beginning of Mark chapter number 11 at the what is called by many as the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ as he entered into Jerusalem. He is in the final week of his earthly life and ministry before his death upon the cross. As we come to Mark chapter number 11, beginning in verse number 12, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to read there with me. And the Bible says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, No man eat fruit of the tree hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. When you stand fast praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come together around your word. We seek the aid of the Holy Ghost. We pray that you would help us. Lord, by your spirit to receive your truth and that you would make it clear to us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to Mark chapter 11, and in the rest of the remainder of this chapter, we find that 
there are two separate incidences which are interwoven in the text and in the narrative. Uh, The first incident we read of is the Lord Jesus as he curses the fig tree. He cursed the fig tree. The second incident that we read about is that the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple. And so we find these two events back to back. Then we find the consequences of these two events then laid back to back for us as well in the remainder of this chapter. This morning, we're going to examine the cursing of the fig tree. And uh, this curse of the fig tree uh, will really serve as a picture demonstrating the Lord's judgment against unbelief. The Lord's judgment against unbelief. And so I, I want to speak to you on this subject, lessons from the fig tree. Lessons from the fig tree. Now, the fig tree and the vine are used uh, as symbols in the Scripture. They are used as symbols which depict uh, the nation of Israel and in John chapter 15 also used to depict uh, the church. Now, Israel and the church are not one and the same. They are distinct. The church has not replaced Israel. Uh, But we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, is speaking here of the nation of Israel in particular as he deals with this fig tree and the lessons of it. But not only is he dealing with the nation of Israel in particular, he is also teaching a principle that we must learn as God's people living in this church age. Now, Israel was a nation that was established by God. It was a nation delivered from Egyptian bondage. It was a nation that the Lord himself planted in the land of Canaan and the people of God there were to enjoy the blessings of the Lord, not just simply so they could experience those blessings, but that they, as the Lord said to Abraham, would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. You see, the purpose of the fig tree was to bear fruit. And fruit is a sweet thing that we enjoy. And it was through the fig tree, through the nation of Israel, through the vine, that God would reveal himself to a lost world. And so here we find the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, has come, and when he comes to Israel, he does not find it a fruitful tree. He finds it a barren tree. And so the fig tree, the physical tree, is a, visible, uh, is a visible demonstration of the barrenness, the spiritual barrenness of the nation of Israel. But John Phillips said this. He said, the fig tree had something to say to Christ. It whispered to him sadly about barrenness. The Lord answered it. This is an extraordinary incident because of the occasion the Lord performed his only judgment miracle. It was clearly a symbolic act. The fig tree symbolized the nation of Israel. The Lord had come to that nation just as he had now come to the fig tree. The nation was very much alive, carrying on with all of its political, social, religious, and economic activities. But it was devoid of spiritual fruit. It had nothing at all to give to Jesus except a cross. The cursing of the fig tree therefore symbolized the subsequent cursing of a Christ-rejecting nation itself. 
a cursing recorded at length by Matthew, and within the lifetime of some of those who were alive at this time, the curse fell. In A.D. 70, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. In A.D. 135, at the time of the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, the Romans put an end to Jewish national life, a life that would not come back into being until 1948. And so we see that the Lord spoke here powerfully and prophetically about the nation of Israel, and there are many great lessons for us to learn today as the church, as Christians, from this barren fig tree. And so I want to invite you, if you would, to notice three lessons that we learn from the, from the fig tree this morning. Number one, a fruitfulness is expected. Number two, faith is to be expressed. And number three, forgiveness is to be extended. You say, what does the Lord Jesus cursing a fig tree have to do with me? Well, that's what I want to help you see this morning. And so I hope you'll look with me. Uh, the first lesson, number one, fruitfulness is expected. Fruitfulness is expected. Notice again in verse number 12, Mark chapter number 11, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of, the, of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard of it. Here we find the Lord Jesus. The Bible said that he was hungry. He saw a fig tree. He came to the fig tree. The fig tree had leaves. We understand it's in the spring of the year. It's a bit early at this time for the fig tree to produce fruit. But the fact that the fig tree had leaves on it portrayed to everyone, it advertised, if you would, that there was fruit on the tree. You see, that's the way the fig tree was. That's the way of the nature of the fig tree. When it has fruit, the leaves are, are, are visible. And so the visibility of the leaves portrayed the story that the tree contained fruit. Now, it was not uncommon for trees, fig trees in that region, to produce fruit a bit early, and so it was not at all unreasonable that this tree, which was filled with leaves, would have fruit. It was not unreasonable to expect that. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, being hungry, seeing that it had leaves, rightfully expected to find fruit on the tree. But when he got to the tree, he saw all the leaves, but he did not find any fruit. Now, I want you to think about that tree. Where did that tree get its life? You say, well, that tree just popped up, and there it was. And here comes Jesus, and he puts a curse on it and dries it up, and it withers away, and it's dead. Now it's not going to ever bear any fruit. Who is he to do that? Well, I'll tell you who he is to do that. He is the one who created the fig tree. You see, that fig tree was in his mind when he spoke this universe into existence. When he created veg vegetable life and vegetation, when he talked about the trees 
and bearing the fruit. The Lord Jesus Christ had designed this tree. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that this tree was there. He, he understood because it was in his mind the purpose of this tree was that it would bear fruit. Not that it would simply occupy ground, but that it would bear fruit. And so that, that leads us to a question. Why are we here? How did we get here? Well, friend, the Bible has the answer for that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says that God made man of the dust of the ground, and God made him in his own image, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. You see, God created us with a purpose. God created us for his glory. And those of us who know the Lord have been twice created, not only a product of spiritual, physical life given in the garden, but a product of the second birth that we received the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus when the Holy Spirit came within us to dwell in us, to give us everlasting life, to make us a child of God, to redeem us of our sin, and to give us power to please him and to worship him and to serve him. We are his creation, and he deserves to see fruit produced in our lives. Israel was his creation. It was his idea, Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. Go up from this land or the Chaldees to a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless him that blesseth thee. I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God took a man and made a nation out of him so that a world would know who he is. And God has made us a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. And it is our job to allow him to work in us and through us to produce fruit in our lives so that a lost world will know who the true and the living God is. In the book of Isaiah, the Lord spoke to the nation of Israel concerning their barrenness. And he used the analogy of a vineyard that's planted protected and nourished, maintained, and yet it remained unfruitful. In Isaiah chapter 5, in verse number 4, the Lord said, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. I did everything I could, he said. I planted you. I protected you. I groomed you, I watered you, I nourished you. I did everything I could do to, to help you be healthy and produce fruit. But when I came, I didn't find any. I didn't find any. You see, fruitfulness is expected, and it's expected in your life and mine. I want you to look with me in John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15, and the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, preparing his disciples now, for his death upon the cross for the time of his departure when he would not be physically with them any longer. In John chapter 15, he speaks to them of the secret of the Christian life. And that secret is found in this phrase, abide in me, John chapter number 15. Abide in me. And so we come to John 15, and we see the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. 
And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That means he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. What is the expectation of the husbandman when he plants the vineyard? Fruit. That's why he goes through the exercise. He desires to see fruit. I remember my wife's grandfather, Earl, and he planted a kiwi vine, and he he worked at that vine. He was trying to get that thing to bear fruit, and he never could get it to happen. And he worked at it and worked at it year after year, time after time, hoping the thing would come around, and it never did. And finally, you know what he did? He got rid of it. He got rid of it. You see, the husbandman plants the vine so that it may produce fruit. And as it grows, he purges it, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 3, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. We get the picture. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches as we are connected to him, as we have his life flowing through us. You see, the life of the vine, that sap that flows through that vine into those branches produces the life of those branches. And the fruit that is produced on those branches is not the product of the branch itself. It is the product of the life in the vine that flows to it. And once that branch is no longer abiding in Christ, connected vitally to him, once that that branch is decided that it's it's not really there to produce fruit, for the vine. It's, it's there to, you know, sort of enjoy things for itself. Like so many of us get the idea. When we decide that we can make it in life without him, when we don't really have to read our Bible, when we don't really have to study God's word, when we really don't need to pray, when we can just handle this thing all on our own, then we are disconnected from the vital life and the power of the vine. And when that happens, we can produce works but we cannot produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so the Lord said, I came to my vineyard, I came to my vine, I came to my fig tree, and I found no fruit thereon. You see, if we're going to produce fruit, we have to stay vitally connected to Jesus in obedience and in fellowship and in communion with him. He said in verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. How did we find this fig tree? How did Peter find it just a day later? Dried up from the roots and withered. The Lord said when we get away from him, when we get independent of him, when we act as if we don't need him, when our Bible is no longer something we desire to read, when we do not enter into the prayer closet, when we cannot lift our voice and worship him, when we are disobedient to the very clear commands of God's word, we have become disconnected from the vine. And when he comes to 
see the fruit. Though the leaves are there. Though it looks like the fruit's there. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? We know how to walk the walk and talk the talk. We have all the phrases. We know how to make the outward appearance. In fact, we can get more caught up in the outward appearance than we can the true life of the vine. We can be filled with leaves but have no fruit. Jesus came to find the fruit, and he said, but if a vine, uh, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. There's an old dead branch on that tree. What happens to it? It's cast forth. And that branch that was designed to bear fruit is really not good for anything but to warm somebody in the fire. When they would tell you as a kid, if you had a wood stove, go out and gather the kindling. If some of you kids don't know what I'm talking about, then we really need to work at some things, don't we? When you went out and gathered the kindling, what were you looking for? Dead branches. The smaller the better, right? Because if you want to start a good fire, nothing helps get it going like that kindling. You know what he said? He's saying here, those of you who were designed to produce fruit, to be a sweetness to this lost world and to glorify me, when you have no fruit, you're really not doing anything but producing warmth. (laughs) You're not bearing the fruit. Your works will be burned up. The Bible speaks of the, our works being tried by fire. It's saying what you need to understand here is that your life is really not going to amount to much unless you abide in me. But if you abide in me, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of Christ in you can produce glorious fruit that you will enjoy, that others will enjoy, and that a world needs to taste and that will glorify me. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Here he connects this fruitlessness or this fruitfulness, depending on the outcome of each branch. He connects it to their prayer life, as does Mark in Mark chapter number 11. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you know how to tell whether or not you are abiding in Christ? Then tell me what you delight in. What is it that you enjoy? What is it that is the pursuit of your life? The Bible said his delight is in the law of the Lord. That means he takes pleasure in it. That means he desires to know it. That means he is making an effort to learn it. He understands that it is vital for him to stay connected to that vine, and so he delights in the law of the Lord. Does the preaching of the word of God bore you? Does the study of the word of God bore you? 
Does, does the Bible class on Sunday morning or the discipleship group on Wednesday evening really have no appeal to you? Let me ask you, do you delight in the law of the Lord? You see, if we delight in the law of the Lord, then we delight in living a life that glorifies God and honors him. And so he said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Notice this, please, in Psalm 1 and verse 2. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That means I've always got it on my mind. It doesn't mean I have to be in Bible study 24-7. But it means that I'm thinking about God and God's word. And as I do my job, when I'm tempted to cheat on the time clock, I need to delight in the law of the Lord. As I drive on the highway and somebody cuts me off and I want to express to them my supreme disappointment in their decision. I better learn to delight in the law of the Lord. When my spouse is having a bad day and I've had about all I'm going to take, which never happens at my house, except on her and not on mine, I'm the one having the bad day. She's the one who's having the, I'm trying to get myself out of trouble here, all right? I, I, start, I started really good, but I didn't finish so strong. And it never happens at your house either, right? We better learn to delight in the law of the Lord. When there is a command in God's word that we would honor him with the first fruits of all our increase, we better learn to delight in the law of the Lord. When we are told that we are to be witness for him. We better learn to delight in the law of the Lord and to think of it and to meditate upon it, to think about it. That's what that word meditate, to turn it over in our mind, to consider it and to ponder its truth. Now notice what happens to the man who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates in it day and night. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted. God is not, listen, you're not here by accident. God has a purpose and plan for your life. That purpose begins with knowing him as your Savior. God loves you. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. He desires that you would come to the saving knowledge of him, that you would not spend an eternity separated from him in an awful place called hell. He desires to save you from your sin and to redeem you unto himself so that you might know him. He desires to plant your life. Not in a dry and thirsty place, but by the rivers of water. Notice what he says in verse Three, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Every tree that God plants, he, he, he determines and, and desires that that tree would bring forth fruit. What makes the difference? What is the determining factor? It is what that tree delights in. Does it delight in the law of the Lord? And do you? That's the question. You may be here this morning, and you don't delight in the law of the Lord. You delight in yourself, or you delight in your sin. May the Lord help you to see that that sin in its wages brings forth death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, that tree will bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
You say, you mean I can do anything I want to and it's going to prosper? No, no, that's not what that verse means. It means that those who delight in the law of the Lord, who does what God wants them to do, will have a prosperous and blessed life. That's what that verse means. And so may God help us to understand that he has created us uh, under Christ Jesus, under good works, and he desires that we as Christians and we as a church would produce fruit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. The Lord says, I want you to see where, what it is. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let me ask you a question. Would you help me this morning? Would you be willing to take a test today? Would you be willing before the Lord Jesus comes your way and finds no fruit, would you be willing to examine your own life? Would you be willing to take a look underneath the leaves of your religious activity and find out if there's any true fruit under there? Well, Paul tells us how to find it or how to test it. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love? You say it's an emotion. Well, it's more than an emotion. It is an act of the will. It is a choice that we make to love our neighbors ourselves, to love God supremely. As you think about love, do you love your neighbors yourself? Is there anybody in this auditorium you wouldn't do anything to help? Is there anybody in this auditorium you would rejoice if something bad happened to them? Oh, you wouldn't do it outwardly, but you'd do it inwardly, secretly. Oh, they got that coming. I'm glad they finally got theirs. You say Christian people don't behave that way. Absolutely they do. What's underneath the leaves? Do we love? Do we care? Do we honor people? Do we have the love of Christ? Do we have the next thing, joy? Joy. Joy is not something that's simply an emotion based on our, 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 our feelings at the moment. Joy is an abiding knowledge that even though we're going through difficult times, we can look to the Lord. Peace. We just sang the song, Be Still My Soul, The Lord Is On Your Side. Can I ask you a question? you have peace in your heart? Are you troubled all the time? That's not a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. 
That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.